today. We've got a lot of things going on on property uh, after the service today. Today is our fifth Sunday. We'll be having a special service today at 2 o'clock. And so I don't want to hold us up any longer than I need to. So let's go to Psalms 139 if we could. Psalms 139, if you're visiting with us today, I hope you've been made to feel welcome already. Uh, If you haven't been made to feel welcome, you come see me and tell me who didn't make you feel welcome, and I'll take care of them after the service. We have some wonderful bouncers, I mean ushers here at our church, and they'll be glad to take care of that for us. Psalms 139, if you're there, let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word. Psalms 139, look down, if you will, to verse number 19. Psalms 139, verse number 19. The Bible says, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee, I hate them with perfect hatred, meaning he hates the sin, not the sinner. I count them mine enemies. Now watch verse 23 and verse 24. They're very familiar verses to us this morning. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to bless his word today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that we know not only is your grace sufficient, but your word is powerful. And, Lord, we know that you desire to do something in every heart that's here today. There's not one of us that's in this building today, not one of us watching on live stream today, that you didn't know, Lord, that they would be here. And, Lord, you've prepared what we need. I pray that, Lord, we go ahead and uh, open up a place in our heart, Lord, that we would receive your word exactly as you'll send it. I pray that there's one lost here today, doesn't know for sure their heaven's their home. Have them be saved today. Lord, I pray for the saved. Lord, renew us through your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think it was where Nate mentioned a while ago. We've had a busy week already on property this week with uh, our soccer championships yesterday. And then on Friday night, we had our fall fest, had a great turnout. Hundreds of folks came, had a good time of fun and fellowship and food. The Lord blessed us with great weather for that. And always an exciting time because it's one of the few times out of the year that uh, I get to dress up and be a kid again. And always enjoy doing that. And this year, as uh, for those of you that were there, you saw my wife and I uh, dressed up as Carl and Ellie Fredrickson from the movie Up. I think we have a picture of that. We'll show you right quick in case you don't know what the movie is or did not see the pictures on social media. I got to try my hand out at what it's like to be old, and uh, it wasn't too bad, to be totally honest with you. I had a good time there, and I uh, got to walk around and visit with other folks who had their costumes on and had their booths, and part of my job uh, is to walk around and look at the booths and the costumes and, and kind of grade everybody on how their, their booths were and figure out who had the best booth that was out there. And so my wife and I were walking around and we were looking at the different booths and trying to judge them and who had the best booth. And we'll announce that, uh, I guess, on Wednesday night, who won that. And while I was walking around looking at the other booths and the other costumes that were there, uh, someone walked up to me. I had a a pin on my shirt. It's a pin my wife bought me years ago. Uh, It's the grape soda pin from the movie Up. And it was kind of the Ellie Award that she gave her husband. And uh, my wife loves me so much, she gave me a bottle cap pen years ago to wear and someone I forget who it was they walked up to me and they said I have a question I says well I may have an answer what's your question they said is your pen supposed to be upside down 
And uh, I says, no, I did not even notice it was upside down. And uh, my wife looked over, my wife turned it around, and she straightened it up for me. And uh, here I was walking around trying to look at the other booths that were there and trying to judge them on how good that they had been put together and judge them on, uh, you know, who had the best one that was out there. And lo and behold, uh, my costume had some things that were upside down and that were not in order. And just like the Holy Spirit often does, he brought that to my attention that that's not the first time that has happened in my life. So what do you mean by that? Well, oftentimes we're easily uh, noticed and drawn to things that are wrong in other people's lives. It's easy for us to walk around and look at how other people's lives are going, and it's easy for us to point out things that are good and not so good and to judge them on their productivity in their life. And meanwhile, in our own life, we have some things that are upside down of our own that need adjusting in our own life. Social media has only made that worse because now we have the opportunity to go out on the World Wide Web and give tons and tons and tons of endless, of unsolicited advice. And we're probably all guilty of that just a little bit. But how often, I want to ask you this morning, are we willing to submit ourselves to the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit of God? How often do we recognize the needs in other people's lives and uh, we judge other people's lives and what needs to happen there and this is what they need to fix and this is what they need to do better or this person's better at that person and yet how often are we willing to submit ourselves to the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit of God or to look into the mirror of God's word and let it show us exactly where we stand and things that are upside down in our life. As I read this passage of scripture this week, I began to notice something in the life of David as he began to write this. If you'll notice verse number 20, the Bible says, For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate what? The Bible says, Them, O Lord, that hate thee, am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. So notice in the first few parts of this verse, David is recognizing the shortcomings, if you will, and the the faults of the wicked. He says, do not I hate them. I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. But what's interesting As David goes down with the things he's clear on about them, he begins to ask God for help on the harder part. It's easy for us to look at other people and to look at them and to look at those and say, this is where they are coming up short and this is where they are living a wicked life and this is where they have transgressed the word of God. But then David does what all of us needs to do this morning. He asks God for help on the hardest part. Verse 23, what does he say? He says, search me. Notice we have them, them, and those. And then David asked God, he says, God, I need some help. I can see what's wrong with them. But God, I need your your help to search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. David says, I see what's wrong with them. And I can recognize the wickedness of those He says, but God, I need you to show me what's wrong in my life. I need you to point out what's upside down with me. I need you to show me the wickedness in my heart. Why? Because it's easy for us to look at others 
and say, boy, this is what you could have done better and this is what you need in your life. But oftentimes as the pen that was upside down on my own chest, I didn't realize there was something upside down that needed fixing in my own life. Now, folks, I don't believe in blanket statements. My wife and I made a deal years ago when we got married, almost 17 years ago, that we were not going to use the words always and never because they're usually lies when we use those words, aren't we? You never take out the garbage. You always act like that. Well, that's not the truth because sometimes I do take out the garbage. I told you Wednesday I took out the garbage. You know, I think I'll slip one in before the year's up. Or you always act that way or you never remember this. Blanket statements are usually not true, but I want to make a blanket statement this morning. I believe there's one thing we'll all agree with today is that we all need change. And there's something in every one of our lives today that needs to change. Look, if you're lost, that needs to change. And you need to come to know the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That way you have a home in heaven when you die. But I believe this morning in the lives of the saved, it's easy for us to look out in the world we're living in and look up at Washington, at the politicians, and look at the White House and the president. We point out what's wrong with them and those. And yet there's things in our own life that are upside down that need to change. But the only way things are going to change this morning is when we desire it enough to ask God what David asked God in verse 23. He says, I want you to search me. I want you to search me. Folks, can I tell you this morning, I believe the only way we're going to have change in America and change in our households and change in our church is for us to begin with the only one that we can change, and that's ourselves. And we've got to get to the place where we desire change enough in our life, in our church, in our country. We desire change enough that we're willing to go before God and say, okay, God, I can see what's wrong with them and those, but I need you to search me. Can I tell you why? Change is not just going to happen. We use the phrase, change has come. Change is not going to come. Change has to be chosen, all right? I want my life to change, and I want to lose a little bit of weight in the new year. I told you about that on Wednesday, but I tell you, that's not just going to come. I've got to choose to lose weight. Now, folks, there's some things more dangerous in our lives this morning. There's some things more devastating in our homes this morning that need to change, and we're waiting for change to come, but change is not just going to come. Change has to be chosen, and we've got to be willing to go before God and say, God, I want change so much that I'm asking you to put your finger on something in my heart and my home that needs to change, and God, you show me what it is, and I'll change it. This morning, we're going to look at the subject of choosing to be changed. Choosing to be changed. The good news is today that whether you're lost or saved, the change that needs to happen in your life is there. It's available. Change can happen, but you've got to choose it. Now, let's follow David for a few minutes this morning. I'm going to try to hurry. I know we've got a busy day ahead of us today, but I believe we need change, and we can't complain about it and post about it if we're not willing to choose that change that God desires to bring in our life. Now, what does he say in verse 23? The first thing he says is, search me. He says to search me. Now, it's easy this morning to say, you know what, I, I'm looking over my life and everything seems to be in order. I'm not perfect. You know, I make mistakes from time to time and I get patient from time to time. Uh, but uh, he says, God, I want you to do something a little bit more than just look at what's on the surface. He says, I want you to search me. Now, here's what's interesting. You go and you look up that phrase and you dig down into the etymology of those words, search me, and it means to dig up. It means to dig up. I don't know if you know this, but we are very shallow people as humans. We are very shallow people. Uh, we believe far more in style than we do in substance. But there's something here we've got to see if we're going to have change. 
And the simple fact of the matter is God sees beyond the surface. We put up a good front for God, just like we put on costumes out there, you know. I may feel as old as I looked the other day, but that's not really who I was. That was just the front that I was putting on, okay? You may think that guy looks better than the one you're looking at this morning, but that's not really who I was. That was just on the surface. And oftentimes before God, the reason we don't have change in our life is because we're judging by what we see on the surface and what we want everybody else to see. But God doesn't see the way we see things. Why? God sees things deeper. Now, this is the first step in choosing change this morning. Number one, if you're going to choose change for your life, you're going to have to accept what's below the surface. All right? You're going to have to accept what's below the surface. Why? Because as you well know, things are not always what they seem to be, are they? Years ago, I was a teenager. No, I was probably 11, 12 years old, and I was out in front of our church. And uh, there was a gentleman always stood out in front of our church, and he fellowshiped with the other men. And, uh, man, he just had a head full of hair. My dad probably knows who I'm talking about right now. One day, we're standing out front, and I'm looking at the man, and the wind began to blow. And all of a sudden, I'm not kidding, this is what happened. His hair goes from like this to like this. And I I declare he had nine inches of hair hanging off the side of his head. Look, I was a kid. I I didn't know what a comb over was, okay? I look at my dad and I was like, is that a wig? He goes, no, it's a a comb over. I said, what's a comb over? He said, well, it's where you can't grow hair on your, your top, but you grow it on the side. You grow it long enough to flip over. And you comb over now. That's a tactic I've begun to employ in my own life. It's not a comb over, it's a comb back. I'm trying to cover that little juice spot that I have on the back of my head, you know. It was not what I thought it was. All these years I thought that man had a full head of hair. And little did I know, as soon as the wind began to blow, he had a comb over. It was not what I thought it was. Some of you ought to try that. It might improve your looks just a little bit. Now, folks, can I tell you this morning, it's no different for us as God's people Things are not always the way we want them to appear. And we show up at church and we look good this morning. You do, you look good. I think you ought to dress up for church. Why? Because it's something worth dressing up to. Hey, you're going to dress up for a funeral. Oh, uh, look, I think you ought to dress up for a living Savior. Amen. So I, I like dressing up. And you look good. We look good. But you know, God sees past our ties. God sees past our suits and God sees past our our necklaces and how we make ourselves look nice. God can see through all of that cheap cologne that we put on to try to cover up the stink that we have in our life. God sees past all of that. Why? God sees deeper. And if we desire change in our life this morning, we've got to get to the place where we accept who God knows we are because God can see deeper than what's just on the surface. That's why David says, I want you to search me, God. David says, I'm not satisfied with who I, I show other people I am. I want to be who you know that I am. Well, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, a very familiar passage to where Samuel's about to choose the new king. He had Jesse bring all of his sons before them, and there's Eliab, the man. I mean, he was the man. And all of a sudden, Jesse's thinking, surely this is going to be the king. But what did Samuel say? And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. That's got to be the guy. He's the full package. I mean, look, he's big. He's strong. He probably had a little cleft in his chin. Probably had, you know, that, that big strong jaw. Probably had a deep bass, bass voice. Surely that's the chosen of God. And Samuel said, that's not him. Verse 7, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, 
because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. What is it saying? It says God sees below the surface. God sees beyond what we show everybody else. Now look, the reason this morning we don't have change in our life The reason things are always going to stay the same is we're satisfied with what's on the surface. But God looks beyond the surface. And God knows who you really are. And God knows who I really am. You have no idea how many times back in that office before I walk out to stand here to preach, I come before God and confess to him all that I know I'm not. Say, God, I need you to have mercy on my life. I need your grace. Why? Because I know what I'm not. And we finally have to get to the place where we agree with who God knows we are. By the way, can I say I'm glad that I serve a God that's not fooled by the schemes of man. You can't fool him. You know, some folks get jollies out of fooling me. You don't get a trophy for that, all right? You can fool me all day long. You can hide what's in your heart. I don't want to know what's in your heart, but I don't count, all right? There's no points for fooling the pastor. Um, But boy, God sees what's deeper, doesn't he? God looks on the heart. David says, look, I I need you to show me, God, what's below the surface. Years ago, I first started preaching. Remember one of the things my dad told me. Uh, Folks would compliment you for a message or compliment you for finishing the message early. I used to always get asked to preach on Super Bowl Sunday. Never realized why until I was in my 20s. I only preached 15 minutes, all right? I know, gone are the good old days. My dad would come up to me after the service and say, son, there's nothing wrong with people complimenting you. Nothing wrong with that. He said, just be careful when you start to believe it. Be careful when you start to believe it. Can I tell you what I fear this morning in the church? I believe we've put on a front for so long that we've started believing that's who we really are. And Almighty God sees below the surface. David says, God, I'm not content with who I project everybody that I am. I want you to search me. I want you to go a little bit deeper. Do you know that's what happened to the Pharisees? The Pharisees started believing who they were pretending to be. You know what? We look nice. We talk nice. We know how to pray. We know how, they even knew how to look when they were fasting, looking gaunt and hollow and pale. After a while, they started believing who they were. But wait a minute. What did the Bible say? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. They weren't fooling the one that mattered. Folks, can I tell you, we're not fooling the one that matters. God's the one that matters. God sees beyond the surface. David says, God, listen, I want to be real before you because God's the only one that counts. Someone said one time, be the type of person your dog thinks you are. Let that settle in. Be the type of person. Look, dogs are not always good judges of character. Why? Just give them a biscuit and they'll like you. That, look, that's what I found when I was a youth pastor. Just give them a piece of candy and they'll like you. Buy them off. But instead of being the person your dog thinks you are, why don't you be the person God knows you are? It's time we come clean. Why? Because, look, we're begging for change in America. God change America. God says, I can't change America until I can change you. And the reason we don't have change in our life today is because we don't choose it because we like being that artificial person that we're pretending to be. Can I tell you this morning, Satan's not afraid of who you're pretending to be. He's not afraid of who you're pretending to be. Yesterday, Miley had a piano recital over at William Carey. And uh, because it's the the season of dressing up and all that, uh, you got to dress up like who you were, uh, the music you were playing. So one of the kids, I'm assuming the song was something to do with the big bad wolf. I'm assuming because this kid was a big bad wolf. 
I think he should have got an extra points for playing with a big bad wolf mask on. He really did. That kid gets up the piano and he starts playing the big bad wolf, had this wolf mask on. I mean, I'd love to borrow that one day. I really would. That would come really in handy at, at youth camp. I assure you that. But you know, I wasn't afraid of that. Why? Because I knew he wasn't the big bad wolf. I knew he was just pretending. I knew that those teeth were, were plastic and maybe those blood that was on the teeth, it wasn't real. I knew that hair was really just polyester, okay? Just glorified carpet. That's all that was. I wasn't afraid of it. Why? It wasn't real. It wasn't real. That's why the devil's not afraid of you. That's why he's not afraid of me. Why? Because we're putting on a costume to be somebody that's religious. Hey, somebody who can quote scripture and has a bumper sticker and yet he knows on the inside who we are. He looks at our life and there's no power, there's no joy, there's no peace. He knows we're not real. That's why he's not afraid of us. And we're desiring change. The problem is we're not willing to be changed. Number one, if we truly desire change, we're going to have to be willing to accept what God knows is below the surface, who we really are. The second thing, look what he says, verse 23. He says, search me, O God. And then what does he say? And know my heart. The first thing David says is, I want you to search me. But then he says, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. Now, this is not that David didn't know about himself, but David didn't know himself like God knew him. Okay? You know, I know myself fairly well. My daughter will be going down 98. We'll, we'll see the, the bat signal, the Krispy Kreme sign come on. And she'll say, Dad, we need to stop. We need to stop. I say, Babe, we don't need to stop. Okay? You know, she's young, her metabolism's high, she can get a whole dozen and not gain a pound. I can eat one, it just gets in there and expands like spray foam. And I have to run laps around the community just to burn off that one donut. She says, Dad, we'll only get one this time. We're not going to buy a dozen. We're only going to get one. And I tell her, Miley, I know myself. I'm going to get through the line at like a buck fifty a piece. And we say, okay, give me one for me, one for Leslie, one for Miley. Next thing you know, you're up to five bucks. And you give another five bucks, then you get a nine more. I'm like, it's only good sense to go ahead and get the dozen. And I tell, I mean, look, folks, some of you need to learn how to do math. That's how math works. It's a better deal to get a dozen than just to buy the individual ones. So I say, Miley, I can't stop. Why? Because I know me. I know me. And boy, do I know myself, but I'll tell you, there's one who knows me better than anybody. It's God. David said, search me, and then he says, I want you to know me. That's the second step in choosing change this morning. Number one, you've got to accept what's below the surface. Quit pretending. Number two, you're going to have to acknowledge what God knows. You've got to acknowledge what God knows. We live in an amazing, amazing time. It's scary. It's frightful. It's wicked, but we live in an amazing time to where just about anything is DIY. You think about that? Just about anything is DIY. Uh, I, I mean, we've got, we've got uh, just common citizens, or not common citizens, but just folks in our, our, our citizenship that are going to space now. You know, it's a, it's a private venture. It's not just a government thing. People, I saw the Star Trek guy finally got to go to space. I was kind of happy for him for that. He got to act about it. Finally, he just finally got to do it and go to space. We've got DIY everything, though. Uh, I mean, Brother Braden has a 3D printing company. If you ever need something printed, go see Braden Thornton. He can do that for you. And you can print just about anything from your home. Uh, I mean, a while back, my brother has a 3D printer. He lost a piece for his chess set. He went to the 3D printer and printed another one. We can just do anything on our own. I mean, I was in uh, uh, Walgreens the other day, walking around, uh, looking uh, or getting some medicine or something, and they have all of these at-home test kits where you can self-diagnose yourself with just about anything today. 
Kind of reminded me of Genesis chapter 11 where the Bible says, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. We've just about got there, but can I tell you, there's a lot of things you can self-diagnose this morning. You can self-diagnose COVID. You can self-diagnose all kinds of things. But when it comes to the matters of the heart, the only way to diagnose those is to go to the only one who knows it, okay? Now stick with me this morning. You say, what do you mean? I know my heart. I know what's going on in my heart. You can't. The Bible says, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What does it say? Who can know it? Who can know it? You think you know yourself. Folks, can I tell you, I believe if God really showed us what we were capable of, both good and bad, it'd scare us to death. If David the guy who killed Goliath, a man after God's own heart, was capable of murder and adultery. What do you think you're capable of? Don't think for a second you can self-diagnose who you are, where you stand. That's what God wants to do. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. What does that mean? That means if you really want change this morning, number one, accept what God sees below the surface, but number two, acknowledge what he knows about us. He knows our heart. It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. And it says, I, the Lord, I try the heart. The problem this morning, why we don't have change, is we won't agree with God about what he knows about us. You know, I was standing there. person says, do you know your pen is upside down? I could have easily said, no, it's not. What do you know? Well, they know what they see. And it was upside down. Do you know what God knows? God knows what he sees. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. He says, God, I'm not capable of knowing my heart like you are. And God, I want to know what you know. Oh, can I tell you, you're on your way to change when you're willing to know what God knows about you. When you get to the place where you finally agree with God about what he's been trying to show you all along. But here's our problem. I believe we're living in the Laodicean church age. Go read about that church. What did they say? They says, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. There's the church right there. The reason we don't have change is we've gotten to the place to think that we don't have need of anything. Why? Because we think we know our heart. No, only God knows our heart. And God looks down, he says, it's desperately wicked and you need change. But here's the problem. We won't agree with God. We won't agree with God. The lay of the sea in church, what did he say? Revelation chapter three, verse 15. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot, I would. Thou wert cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I think about every time we have an invitation. You know, it doesn't matter how good or bad the preaching is. The Holy Spirit can preach exactly what he wants, as clearly as he wants. He's going to let you know what he wants. So, man, if we had a better preacher, maybe I'd live a better life. Sorry, that's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's going to tell you exactly what he wants you. Do you know when I was lost, he told me? I don't remember what the preacher preached on, but I remember he told me I was lost. I can't tell you what the sermon was in June of 1995 when the Lord called me to preach, but I know what the Holy Spirit said. He told me. And here was my job. It was my job to just come and acknowledge what God was already telling me. Now, folks, we're going to get to a place where we're like the church of the Laodicea. And we're going to miss out on all the change that God wanted to bring simply because we had gotten to the place where we had need of nothing. Every time we have an invitation, here's what's going to happen. You can either diagnose it for yourself or defer to the Spirit. 
all right? Diagnose it yourself. You say, I'm standing here. It's invitation time. It's time to go home. I want to get in that drive through for Popeye's chicken because it's always a long line, and I want to get there in a hurry, so I got to get out of here. I'm fine. I don't need to go down to the altar. I don't need to be saved because I'm a good person. My family's religious. It doesn't matter. What does the Spirit say? What's God saying to you? Folks, this morning, all that matters is what God knows. That's why David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Look, do you think David is asking God for God's benefit? God, I think you need to look in my heart because there's something in there you didn't know about. It's not what he's saying. God knew what was in David's heart. Here's what David says. David, David said to God, I want you to search my heart, and I want you to know it, and I want to know it. God, I want to see what you see. And oh, there's change in your life this morning when you finally acknowledge what God knows about you. Now, this morning, my heart is, is heavy about our revival coming up. I've been praying about it, burdened about it. our week of renewal. It's a little over a week away. I honestly believe we'd see a miraculous move of God in our church. I believe we'd see a change in Hattiesburg if we had a miraculous move of God in our church. If all of God's people simply says, God, what about me? Not about them. Not about those. What about me? What change do I need to make? I mean, it's easy for us, isn't it? I'm sure when you go home, you point out to your spouse all the things, the verses I quoted wrong or words I got twisted up. The other day, I could not say mercilessly. Remember that? Because I was trying to add an F, Brother Michael. That was the problem. There's not an F in mercilessly, okay? So there, you learn something on your way home. And that preacher just gets the words twisted up. And I, I still blame it on COVID, but you know, it is what it is. Instead, we should be riding home thinking, you know what? This is what I needed. What about me? David says, I hate them. I hate them. But God, I need you to search me. And this morning, boy, we get so mad at the politicians and the president and all that. Man, they're just ruining America, they and them and those. But, oh, we'd have change in America if we just looked up toward heaven and said, God, search me and my. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Number two, we've got to acknowledge what God knows. God knows. Look, I don't want to know your dirty laundry this morning, but God does. God does. Why? Because God wants to change you. But until you can acknowledge what God already knows, you're not going to be changed. What's the third thing he says? Search me, O God. Know my heart. And he says, try me. Try me. He says, I want you to search me. I want you to know me. And then I want you to try me. Now, David is serious. He didn't say, God, just kind of send me a note in the mail and I'll take care of it later. He says, no, search me, know me, try me. Now, that term, try me, it has two meanings. The first deals with gold purification. All right, you try that gold. And as that gold is tried, the end product, as Job says, I shall come forth as gold. That trying proves it. It proves it. But the second part, I like the second part, it's judicial. David is saying, God, I want to see the evidence. Let the evidence decide. God, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to argue with you. I want you to try me. And in the end, what comes forth, the decision will be made based on the evidence that is there. Now, how does that fit to you and I this morning? Well, David is saying, let the evidence speak for itself. That's the third step in choosing change this morning. You've got to agree with the evidence. You've got to agree with the evidence. Let me explain. Several years ago, my wife and I got on a Perry Mason kick. Ever been on one of those? Probably not. Black and white Perry Mason? 
Man, we'd stay up at 10.30 to watch that on MeTV. You know, all we had was one of those rabbit ear antennas from Dollar General with some tinfoil on it. And so that's about all we pick up. So we learned to like Perry Mason. It took a little while. And they're sitting there. And what was the guy's name? Burger? Was that his name? Burger? Hamilton Burger. That was a, what a horrible name for a guy, you know? You knew he was going to be a loser. And he always lost because he had a name like Hamilton Burger, okay? So Hamilton would start speaking up and say, well, I heard this about them. And, you know, I think they were at the crime scene and all this. And all of a sudden, Perry Mason would stand up. And he would say, Objection! He could do it the way only Perry Mason could do it. And the judge, he would say, that's conjecture, that's opinion, that's speculation. And the judge would say, sustain. He would say, strike that from the record. I don't know how they strike that from the record. They just go in and do a mind melt and make people forget what they heard. You know, I've kind of always wondered how that works, but strike that from the record. It's not admissible. And he would say, we're only going to try this case based on the evidence. And the verdict and the outcome is going to be decided by the evidence. Now, here's what David is saying. David said, search me. Dig deep below the surface. I want you to know me. I want you to show me who you know that I am. And then I want you to try me. And God, I'm going to agree with the evidence. I'm going to agree with the evidence. Can I ask you something this morning? Is there evidence in your life that says something needs to change? Do you know that our lives this morning will prove themselves that change is needed? Our lives will prove. You don't have to tell me a thing. You don't have to give our opinion and our conjecture. Uh, you don't have to give any of that. Why? Because our lives alone are going to prove whether or not we need change. Do you know America's not in the shape it's in because everything is okay? Think about it, all right? We're saying, boy, there needs to be change in America. Absolutely. Now let's connect the dots. The reason there needs to be change in America because there needs to be change in God's people. Hey, let's accept the evidence. Our country's not in the shape it's in because God's people are where they need to be. Why? The evidence says otherwise. David says, I want you to try me. One of my favorite stories, it's sad, but boy, what a powerful story is the story of Achan. Where God tells the army of God, I want you to go in, destroy the Amalekites. And I want you to bring anything out of there. And here's Achan seeing the gold and the silver in the Babylonian garment. And he says, boy, I need that. And so he takes it back home and he buries it under his tent. And they go to battle the next time. And they go to fight this little old puny town called Ai. And they lose. And Joshua comes before God. And Joshua says, something's wrong. Something's wrong. We don't have power. We don't have victory. Here's what Joshua's doing. The evidence says something's wrong. He cries out to God, and what does God say? God says there's sin in the camp. God says there is something wrong. What did Joshua say? But we're mostly good people. Hey, you know what? Most of our people are good. It's just one family that's bad. That's not a bad odds. But God says, look what it's costing you. So here's what Joshua did. No, Joshua didn't say that. Joshua brought them all before him, one by one, family by family, family by family. Finally, Achan says, it's me. Now, if you looked at Achan's tent, everything looked good on the surface. But the stuff was buried deep. He went and he finally dug it up, lost his life and his children's life. But finally, God's people had their power back. Why? Because they were finally willing to agree with the evidence. We don't have power. We don't have victory. Something's wrong. Now, can I ask you this morning, does the evidence in your life, not what you tell people, not your opinion, not your speculation, is your life 
and the evidence of your life enough to convince you this morning that something needs to change. I don't have power, I don't have joy, I don't have peace, I don't have contentment. Look, the evidence itself, David says, I want you to try me, and whatever comes out from the evidence, let that decide. Is our lives enough this morning to prove to us that we need change in America? Number three, we've got to agree with that, agree with the evidence. But finally, I'll give you this, I'm going to let you go. The Bible says, verse 24, let's bring it all to a head. David says, I want you to search me, I want you to know me, and I want you to try me. Verse 24, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, this is very, very important. You see what's about to happen. David says, I want you to search me. Go deep below the surface. I'm going to accept what you see beyond what I'm trying to show you. I'm going to acknowledge what you know. Know me. I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm going to agree with the evidence. My life is showing something needs to change. The sheer evidence is showing improving. I've got to make some changes in my life. And then he gets to the last part of verse 24 where he says, and lead me. And lead me. When you get to the place to where you accept what's below the surface, acknowledge what God knows, and agree with the evidence, finally you're ready to be led to change. David says this, number four, and we're done. Lead me in the way everlasting. The fourth step in choosing to change is allowing the Lord to lead. Allowing the Lord to lead. You know, change is not just going to come. If you wait on change, it's not going to come. I'm just waiting on change to happen. You're going to be waiting a while. It's not going to come. Change has to be chosen, and you choose that. You choose that by saying, search me, and know me, and try me, and then now I'm finally ready to be led of you. Isn't that what 1 John 1, 9 is all about? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad there's cleansing available? Oh, man, there's forgiveness available, but where does it happen? After the confession. What is confession? It's agreeing with what God already knows about us. He already knows we've sinned. He already knows we've transgressed his word. He says, I'm waiting for you to agree with me for what I already know. And when you acknowledge that, I'm ready to lead you in the way everlasting. My question would be to you this morning, do you desire change enough to choose it? Do you desire change enough in your life that you're going to choose it? You say, well, how do I choose it? Are you ready to accept what God knows is below the surface? It's not what you're showing everybody. It's what God already knows. Are you willing this morning to acknowledge what God knows? He knows. He knows. I don't need to know. He knows. Are you willing this morning to look at the evidence of your life that's proving? The evidence proves something's not right. There's no power. There's no joy. Something's wrong. If we acknowledge that before God, then finally, as David says, and lead me, we can be led to the change that we're looking for. You don't have to live in misery this morning. You don't have to. You don't have to live lost this morning. And as a child of God, you don't have to live, live confused and worried and doubt and fear. You can have what you're looking for, but you're going to have to choose it. Now, folks, this morning, I desire God to change my heart. Sure, I could probably look around the room this morning and find something wrong with somebody in here. A few of you especially. And you can find a lot wrong with me. Them and those. But instead, say, you know what? I can't change you. So God, why don't you search me? This morning, Leslie and I got to teach teenagers since Brother John's away and continue to pray for them as 
They travel in from Washington. I told them this morning, I said, my prayer and Miss Leslie's prayer for our teenagers is they would make bold and courageous decisions while they're young to live for God. I said, but you're going to have to be bold. You're going to have to have courage to stand out from the crowd and make the decisions that nobody else really wants to make. you got to have enough courage. And this morning, can I ask you something as grown-ups here today? Do we have enough courage to choose change? I'm not going to sit around and wait on change to come. I want change bad enough. I'm going to ask God, search me. Put your finger on anything in my life that doesn't need to be there. Why? Because I want change for me, and I want change for my kids. God, I want you to know my heart. Look, I'm not going to pretend to know it, but God, you know the heart. You try the heart. God, show me what you know, and I'm just going to agree with you. God, I look at the evidence in my life this morning. I don't have joy. I don't have power. I don't have peace. And all the evidence is saying there's a change needs to take place in my life this morning. And God, I acknowledge that before you. And now I'm asking you to lead me to the change that needs to come. You can have it today, but you're going to have to choose it. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's stand together.